Hello and welcome to Inside the Cylinder. This is episode 105. Little all-star break episode. Um, since we don't have a whole lot going on, I am Matt Way, one of your co-hosts. And as always, I'm joined by Inside the Cylinder legend, Detroit ba- Bad Boys writer, David Fernandez. David, what's going on? Not much. I like that intro, uh, and I appreciate it. I feel like we should start to really amp each other up on some of these intros and <laughs> see how grandiose we can make these things. I like that. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, not much, man. You know, it's all-star break time. I actually had to look at the calendar just to refresh my memory of when the Pistons were playing next. I think it's not until this upcoming Thursday, so... We got a couple days off, so we figured it was a good time to sort of, I don't know, look back on the first half of the season, look a little bit towards the future as well, and just kind of go over some more general Pistons topics, not necessarily something that's, um, I guess, micro, uh, you know, game-to-game type of stuff or player performances. So this is certainly going to be more of an episode that is covering, I guess, larger topics and should be a fun one, so I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, so our, our first topic is, um, <clears throat> David, give me two takeaways that you have from the Pistons' first half of the season. Okay, I'm going to start. I'll give one first, and I'll kick it to you, because my first okay. one's a little long-winded. So bear with me here. But it's all concrete, because it is covering the same topic. So my first takeaway from the first half of the Pistons' season a 10 and 26 Pistons team, mind you, is that I, uh, you know, when I was thinking about the first half, I think the the main thing that I was trying to think of, like, what is it that I think about this Pistons team? Not necessarily like from a player perspective, but just in general, like from a directional standpoint. And I think one of the biggest things that is most important is who is the guy in charge? And I think Troy Weaver is the guy. I wrote that in all caps, two E's on my little doc here. So that is my first sort of thought when I think about the Pistons in general. I think they really did hit on their general manager. Um, and I want to kind of break that down a little bit. So I initially question the Grant and Plumlee signing uh, heavily. I questioned whether or not Grant could handle the responsibilities he signed up for. I, I think I was certainly not scarred, but concerned after watching him during the preseason. I heavily questioned the Luke Kennard trade. I was kind of a Kennard homer, I guess you can say. I was certainly on Team Kennard. And, you know, Detroit ended up winding up with Sadiq Bay. Kennard has been sort of in and out of the lineup with LA, and they just re-signed him. I questioned the Dennis Smith Jr. acquisition. I I thought that Detroit may be able to net themselves a a more useful player. Uh, for Derrick Rose, but he's played about as well as I could possibly expect, seeing how it looked like he was about to be out of the league after his first couple games this year. Uh, And he's been really useful for this team, even though the Pistons haven't necessarily won a bunch of games with him on the roster. Uh, Did he hit on every single move? No, but that's not possible. So I don't need to go too much into, you know, maybe some of the misses and, uh, Whatever whatever it is that, that you might see as a negative or a Pistons fan might see as a negative from his acquisition so far. And we'll get into this a little later, so I don't want to handle or go too heavily onto the rookies. 
but it definitely looks like he hit on Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, and certainly Saban Lee down at 38. So that is my sort of general takeaway. It's like, okay, I am happy with the the direction of this team, not only from, okay, we're bad, we're supposed to be bad, but just every single, not every single move, but most of the moves that I've seen Troy Weeper make so far this offseason uh, and throughout the season, I've been really, really surprised with and really happy with. So I am excited about the Pistons' future. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm just going to go straight into my first takeaway because it's definitely related and I think it segues perfectly. So my first takeaway is that the Pistons are closer to being competitive than I ever expected them to be. Now, again, they're, they've won 10 games. They're, they're not good this year. We know that. But they have a bunch of, because of Troy Weaver's acquisitions, they got a bunch of just really good, hardworking, solid players. Guys that are going to be able to play very specific roles as the team gets better. You have your 3 and D guy in Sadiq Bay. You have another guy in Jeremy Grant who can just wreak havoc defensively, who we know now can do a little more offensively. He can be, you know, the number two, number three scorer on a better team. Something we maybe didn't think, um, especially like you said in the preseason. But but I, th- I think certainly we we have a good idea of right now. Um, you know, you have a, a real feisty, quick. <clears throat> um, point guard coming off the bench in Saban Lee. You have a really hard-working center in Isaiah Stewart, who's just going to do a lot of the dirty work. He's going to clean up on the boards. He's going to outwork opposing bigs, whether he starts, whether he comes off the bench. <clears throat> the The thing that they, they, they need certainly is like a, a, a real number one dynamic scorer. If you get the number one pick this year um, and you get Cade Cunningham or, you know, if you say fall back a little bit and you get Jalen Green and he turns out to be a, a legit good number one, I think the Pistons are kind of into something at that point. And I think the rebuilding or or what what was the word Trey Weaver used uh, today? Re, uh, recharge? Storing. Or, Restoring, yes. Like that process, I think, speeds up really quickly if you hit on a a lead score this offseason. Do you think that there's a world, let's say you do hit on that guy where the Pistons are finding themselves in a much more exciting race to the back end of the playoffs next year? Not what we've seen from previous seasons where it was like a bowl of sadness trying to limp your way in, into the postseason do you think it could be that immediate or, or I guess what what do you where where do you see where where do you sort of put that benchmark at where it's like okay like more than just competitive in, in losing games but also you know actually con, you know starting to win some games yeah I, I I I definitely think I mean if if they were in the west I would say no but you know we've seen how bad the east is this year if it's equally as bad next year they could they could certainly make a good run for you know just even more than the eight seed you know it, we're we're assuming a lot of course you know that that they do get Kate Huntingham or, or Jalen Green or a guy like that and that they end up being really good as a rookie 
you know, that I, it also assumes that Killian Hayes is, is going to certainly improve from what we saw in his seven games early in the year. Um, and that, that guys just make natural progressions and, and they develop. Um, but if, if that happens, like I, I definitely do see, I could see them being like, you know, like one of these solid Pacers teams that we've seen for years that are just a really, you know, a, a really solid team. That's definitely a playoff, a playoff team. I, I, I think it is plausible at this point. It's certainly not likely, um, but it, it's there's there's a very clear path to it, I think. I think the way that you said that was well put because you mentioned that these guys are filling specific roles, right? They're going to know what they're supposed to do on the court and kind of where they stand. Not in the, I mean, I guess where they stand in the pecking order. Um, and, and one thing that I think that, especially if Detroit is able to bump a guy up, right? You get one of these top picks and you're able to really rely on him. And then it sort of moves other guys down, but maybe to where they're naturally supposed to be. We had talked about in the last episode, how it might be better for Josh Jackson to, that he would be coming off the bench. That's going to be more of his natural role moving forward. Um, And it makes me think about a thought that I've heard from, I think Verno, Chris Vernon from the ringer NBA show, uh, and he, he's, I don't remember what team he was talking about. I think he was talking about the Clippers back before they had Kawhi and Paul George. And I think there's value to this. So they don't, even if, all right, obviously best case scenario, we get a crazy difference maker, but there's certainly value into having a roster that's filled with guys that don't suck. Like where you're not super thin in the, on the bench and you're not, super thin at certain positions in your starting lineup. And Detroit has kind of been able to keep their, not keep their head above water because they're drowning right now, but remain as competitive as possible under these circumstances, because they've actually had a lot of solid performances coming off the bench. And then you're able to sort of maneuver guys around, especially if you do find that sort of alpha guy that is going to be able to carry this team. And you couple them with the Jeremy Grant, you couple them with the Killian Hayes, you're bringing Josh, Josh Jackson off the bench. Isaiah Stewart knows what he's doing. So I think there, it certainly does seem like everything is going in that right direction because even right now, there aren't a ton of guys on that team that absolutely stink. It's more so that they just are missing out on some of the top-end talent, and that could be hopefully quickly addressed in the first few picks of the NBA draft this upcoming offseason. So, yeah, I think that's a well you know well thought out. Um, you know, take there, I guess you could say, Matt. Yeah, I, I think there's there's something to it. You know, like you said, you know, say you move Jeremy Grant to the two, you know, the number two role. Um, DeLon Wright is is your number three role um, offensively. And then, um, you know, Isaiah Stewart's obviously like your five, and you have Sadiq Bey shooting threes as, as like the fourth option. Like there, there's something there offensively certainly a whole lot better than what we've, we've seen this year. Um, and, and decent enough, I think to compete, um, in the bottom of the, like the bottom half of the East playoffs. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting off season. Cause if they hit things, uh, things get exciting uh, a little quicker than I think anyone expected. It's funny because you and I didn't tell each other what our takes were going to be for this particular topic. And this is truly like a fitting like a puzzle piece right now. Because my second thought is that even though this season has been fun so far, 
and I'm sure I'll be covering this team for the long haul. It hurts to think of this rebuilding or retooling or restoring or whatever whatever it is that they want to call this as a long-term reality. And I know it's not fully in Detroit's control, but do I hope that they're able to land a top three to five pick in this year's draft. So we're talking about a competitive team here shortly, like you had just broken down. So I'm really just praying that the Pistons are more Grizzlies than they are the Kings or pre Chris Paul sons. You know, that is what I am really, really hoping for. Cause even though it has been fun, there's still just been, and I know Matt, you and I have, there's times when we're recording this show where it's just not as exciting as other times when the losses are piling up and, you know, the highlight of the week is Saban Lee scoring like 20 or something like that. I'm really, really hopeful that like, that you're right and that this is going to be something that is starts to trend upwards even quicker than, than we all imagined because it did seem like it was going to be a three, four-year process when, every, when the slate was completely wiped clean. But I think there's a lot of room for optimism right now to where this could really be a two, three-year process when we're talking about a fun, young, competitive Pistons team like we've seen, as I said, with that that Grizzlies teams when they hit with John Morant and even looking back to like the, the most fun year with the Pistons back in the day when they had Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris and a young Andre Drummond and a young Reggie Jackson. Like that was a lot more fun, not hoping that it obviously repeats the years following in these upcoming years for Detroit and what those years following were for that team. But uh, yeah, I, I, I really am hopeful and, and I do see the light at the end of the tunnel, um, which I couldn't have said following last year's season for sure. No, absolutely. I, you know, when you're, when you're writing and you're podcasting about this stuff, it, it can be, it can be tough. Sometimes you got to dig pretty deep. Um, so I totally get where you're, where you're coming from there. Um, I'm, I'm a huge like basketball NBA nerd, so I love the team building aspect. But I, I get where you're coming from. Um, so my my second takeaway is, you know, it's it's kind of I guess I can relate it to that a little bit. You know, the sometimes it's it's tough to come up with with interesting stuff to to write about and talk about. But I'll tell you that despite the fact that they're losing, it it hasn't really affected when I'm watching the games, how much fun I'm having because they, they just work hard so hard. They put runs together in every single game. They never give up. And I, I, they just makes a bunch of really solid plays. Um, you know, they have this, this stretch of just real kind of surprising competency, maybe um, from what I expected. And, Maybe it's just my expectations for what the season was going to look like, but I've had way more fun watching this team in the first half of the season than I had watching the last three or four seasons um, outside of Blake Griffin's, you know, all NBA season. But I, I've really, I really have just from a sitting down and watching the games perspective, I, I really have enjoyed watching the team for the most part. Yeah. And I think part of that is, this is a team where you start to see guys that remind you of just the heart and soul that was in some of our favorite of you know favorite Pistons teams of all time. You, you see that in 
Saban Lee. You see that in Jeremy Graham. I see that in Josh Jackson. I see that in Isaiah Stewart. You know, there's so many guys, Sadiq Bey. There's so many guys on this roster where it just seems like they are, are match the sort of soul of what is Detroit Pistons basketball. And I think that's worth something. It, it might sound sort of cheesy in that, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Pistons were also like the 2016 Warriors. I wouldn't care. Oh, I mean, that team was had its own sort of grit to it as well but you know they don't have to be fully in the mold of teams that I remember from my childhood but at the same time it doesn't hurt like it still is pretty awesome to see guys that are you know sort of rough and that uh you know fight for possessions and fight for loose balls and just kind of do the things that the little things that might not show up on a box score but at the same time um lead to a good culture building and also speak to the people of the city of Detroit and speak to like the brand of basketball that really resonates with the people here. So I think that's a really big part of why I have enjoyed this so much. It's not just that they're finding themselves in certain games where they shouldn't be or or scrapping out wins against really good teams. It's kind of the way that they're doing it on the court. And that has been one of the most sort of biggest sides of relief, I guess you can say, having watched this team because that, that brand seems like it's been gone for a really, really long time. And um, you know, it's starting to show itself here. And that's something that I think that the team and the city is eventually going to be really proud of. And um, I think that the fans will eventually start showing out to the arenas once they're reopened and um, and they're able to, to sort of put that on display for everyone. Yeah, I, I, that's perfectly said. And it, it sparked an idea that we might have to do a, um, a, a pod where we just compare the the these guys to like former Pistons. Um and I'm gonna tell you right now that that just when you mentioned Saban Lee kind of fitting that, you know, I'm gonna just tell you right now that Saban Lee is the the 2020 version of Lindsay Hunter, I think. That's a good one. I was that's exactly who I was thinking of. So um yeah no that that'd be a fun Shout out Lindsay Hunter. Sure. Yeah, I love Lindsay Hunter. That was one of the this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but he was, I don't know if people remember this, but a part of the Rashid Wallace trade that got him to Detroit, he was let go. He was like cut from the Pistons and it broke my heart because he was drafted by Detroit so, so long ago. I think he was the 10th overall pick. And then he wound his way back up on Detroit. Awesome on-ball defender. And then he was cut during just to make room for I don't necessarily know how the the how everything sort of worked from a dollar sign perspective, but it was like ten days later, and the Pistons re-signed him, and he was able to be a part of that team in that championship run. So, yes, shout out to Lindsey Hunter. But I remember thinking that when that all went down, it sort of broke my heart. So I was happy that he was able to get back with that team. Yeah, yeah, they traded him. Uh, <clears throat> they traded him to. I think he went to Boston um, to uh, to make the make the salaries work, um, and I think that might have been one of the trades that. Um, sparked the uh, the rule about um, not being able to sign with the team that that just traded you. Um, <laughs> you. You could do that a lot more back in in the uh, in two thousand four. Well, good. That man's got a ring because of it, so he deserved it. Um, Absolutely. All right. So for our second topic, we are moving on, and this is, I guess you can say, this is the philosophical concept here, Matt. Um, this, this is a is great old, one. <laughs> yeah. So this is an old. You know, I guess debate about uh, humanity in general, but this is nature versus nurture is what we're calling this one. And the nature in this case would be Troy Weaver. 
because, and let me, I'll break this down. And the nurture would be Dwayne Casey. So the question is, who do you credit most with the pleasant surprise that is the rookies? Uh, Sadiq, Saban, Isaiah, we talked about them. And the free agency slash trade perform trade acquisitions. Um, Grant, Jackson, Dennis Smith Jr. So clearly here we're saying that nature is Weaver because he's brought these guys in to the team kind of based on who they are as players and how he sees them molding with the organization. The nurture part is Dwayne Casey because he is the guy that is literally nurturing these guys and coaching these guys and, you know, has something to do with their on-court performances for sure. So I'm going to kick that question to you, Matt, nature or nurture for who do you credit with some of these pleasant surprises from this current Pistons group? Yeah. So this is, this is a tough one. Um, You know, like, nature versus nurture. I think the, the answer is a lot of both. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to upset any, any people who, who study this. I, I definitely don't know the real answer to this. Um, the, the nature versus nurture, uh, question, but you know, I, I'm going to lean towards Dwayne Casey getting slightly more credit. And I certainly, give Troy Weaver a ton of credit um, just in, in finding these guys and, and finding guys. And he said it from, from the start, you know, they want to find good people, hardworking players, um, guys that reflect, you know, the, the winning nature of, of these teams that we were talking about, you know, the, the, the mold that, that all these great Detroit Pistons teams had, um, you know, you, you need guys like that to buy in, but I, I think it's harder to actually get them to buy in. Um, Troy Weaver is going to be a much bigger part of um, whether this team and whether this franchise, you know, really competes and contends in the future. But just for the first half of the season, the, the job Dwayne Casey has done to get these guys playing so hard on such a bad team on a 10 and 26 team, you know, that is not something that is easy to do. He's taken his lumps um, during, during his, his Detroit career to win Casey has. And, you know, I, I really think he's owed some apologies this year because I think he's just done a fantastic job. And uh, so I, I, I give him slightly more credit for, for, for that great job that he's done for the first half of the year. What, what say you, David? I am surprisingly going to – so I'm going to break this down in two parts here. But So I'm going to go nurture, a.k.a. Dwayne Casey, for the rookies. Uh, I really think he has put them in the best position possible. He's been mostly consistent in their minutes. And I've seen way more out of Sadiq Bey, Stewart, and Lee than what they were billed for going into this season. Like Bay was sort of really deemed as the catch and shoot three and D guy, and we're seeing him do a lot more than that. I know you've written about this, Matt. Or, yeah, you've written about this already. So uh, you know we're seeing him get into into the paint. We're seeing him post up. We're seeing him now start to even finish in transition a little bit more. Um, and, and just do things where I had written something earlier. I might've I think I wrote the Sadiq Bay 
season preview where I was talking about how I really want to see him add a little bit more to his game, add uh, or, or just utilize his strengths a little bit more. You know, I'm talking about like relocating from beyond the three-point arc, not just being a catch-and-shoot guy, but also, you know, being able to sort of come to the ball, find the ball, uh, just do little things that you see modern three-point shooters do nowadays. And I think he's done a really good job of that. Um, I guess moving on from Bay, you know, we're seeing – what I want to call sort of like an unleashed Saban Lee and Isaiah Stewart. And I think that has a lot to do with Dwayne Casey sort of giving them that allowance. Uh, you know, Saban Lee is that point guard uh, that is gets into the paint, sort of figures it out from there, sort of a freelance type of offense when you have him in there. But that's Casey saying, hey, I trust you enough to make the right basketball play. So I'm going to allow you to do that. Isaiah Stewart, I mean, this he might have just done whatever it was, no matter what. He's just a sort of a beast out there. And, uh, but I think it does take, you you know, just some, he he has the right direction. We're not seeing him sort of truly just go out there and just run into a bunch of bodies. He gets himself in a little bit of foul trouble. Yes. But I think that he is doing it with a purpose and he's been making really solid plays all season long. And now you're starting to see him even shoot a little bit more which I think is a part of his game and something that I think Casey is probably believes in from what he's seen out of practice. Now, the second part of this, and I really want to make this, uh, you know, I really want to give Weaver his due on this. This is for Jeremy Grant. I'm going all Weaver on, on Jeremy Grant. That was his guy. It was essentially a question of Christian Wood or Jeremy Grant. And only the Pistons and Nuggets were the ones that were offering up Jeremy Grant 20 mil a year. Um, and Weaver knew Grant from his days in Oklahoma City. And he somehow knew that he was capable of producing to the level that we've seen him produce so far this year. So I do really want to give the my nod, of the, my nod of the cap to to Weaver on that because I really do think that he knew in his heart of hearts that Grant was going to be as good as we've seen him so far this year. So it's kind of, I guess I'm sort of skating a little bit here, but I think that that's the way that I see both of those types of those groups, I guess you can say. Yeah. You're not, you're not skating at all. Um, because you're, you're absolutely right on Jeremy Grant. Um, it's, it's, it's really impressive. You know, Josh Jackson, I think is, he was more of a natural or, or obvious pick. Um, Jeremy Grant was, you know, it, it says a lot about Troy Weaver's, eye basketball eye and his his ability to kind of think out the, outside the box and to be able to project guys into different roles than than what they were previously um and that's something that I think should really encourage Pistons fans um moving forward you know the other guy that that you mentioned um kind of when you asked the question Dennis Smith Jr I think is a real credit to me to to Casey because I, I continue to be amazed at the defensive effort that he puts forth now compared to what he has throughout his career. And that to me is just total buy-in to what the team is doing. Um, and, and I, so I, I give, I give Casey a lot of credit on that one. Yeah. It's a trust where I think Dennis Smith jr. Did have that sort of sense. And we talked about this concept in previous episodes, that sort of basketball mortality. So Dennis Smith Jr. really did have to believe in Dwayne Casey to put him in the best position possible to continue his NBA career. And and he's fully bought in. I think the basketball mortality 
part has something to do with that. But at the same time, when he was getting pulled and not playing, he doesn't always finish games, but um, when he was getting pulled in like the fourth quarter, when he just wasn't looking too good in some of his early games in Detroit, I could see there being a level of doubt there where it's like, hey, this coach doesn't know how to use me. And all of a sudden you're on your third coach where you're thinking that. But at the same time, he certainly bought into what Dwayne Casey was selling. And I think that's why we've seen probably the best version of Dennis Smith Jr. so far throughout his career, um, even in these you know few games that we've seen him so far in Detroit. So I, I would agree with that one too, Matt. Yeah, I, I think we should give the Bad Boys documentary about 5% credit too, because everybody seems to have have watched that in anticipation <laughs> of, of going to the Pistons, coming to the Pistons. So maybe there's something to that too. Yeah, I was once on a flight and I don't know about you, but sometimes, and this might be, you know, really revealing a little bit too about my, too much about myself. Every now and then I'm on my, on a flight and I get weirdly like emotional. And I don't know if it's like the, like this weird sort of like sense that, you know, fragility where it's like, I'm not in control of my fate. I don't know what's going on in like the subconscious there, but I remember once I was on a flight and I was watching, they had like the 30 for thirties and they had the Detroit bad boys one, or I don't even know if that was a 30. It was something, it, it, I think it was like a, a Grantland production or something, but it wasn't necessarily a 30 for 30. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But my point being is that I was watching that and I got all up in my feelings. Like I'm not talking, I'm crying on the plane, obviously, but I just remember really feeling something while watching that for like the fifth or sixth time on this plane. And uh, yeah, I can see how it would do that to you because it certainly has done it to me before. Yeah, I think that's a pretty normal phenomenon on a plane. So you don't you don't need to be ashamed there. And the Pistons just have have that effect, I think, on us, uh, you know, us, us Michigan natives. I'll tell you that when the the Pistons won the, the title in 04, I was kind of in an isolated spot, too. I was actually in Germany, like on this trip um, with with some kids from my high school and some some adults and so we actually like stayed up and watched, um, or not, you couldn't really watch back then. This was like, this was Oh four. Um, but we, we tracked the box score paid, paid at the hostel to use the computer for like three hours and, and tracked the box score. And there were, emo- <laughs> there were, there were emotions that night for sure. And and the next day it was, uh, I, yeah, the Pistons, I think the Pistons do that to the best of us. Definitely for sure. Well, obviously you, you and I are here recording our, <laughs> 17th hour of this show. So I think that we're allowed to feel that way. All right. So our final topic, there's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, um, but that's fine. Uh, so Matt, I wanted to get, what is your bold second thought for the second half of this season? So um, my, my first bold prediction, um, and it might even be a, a hot take at this point because there's there's not a whole lot of reason to believe in it, but I think that you're going to see Sekou Dumbuya make some strides in the second half. I've noticed lately a bit of mechanically um, some changes in Sekou, especially in his like three point shooting. Um, he can definitely be like a he, he kind of throws the ball at the the rim with his wrist. He kind of flicks it up in the air about a thousand feet too high, um, which is just not, not ever going to be sustainable unless you're like Steph Curry, um, which Seku is certainly not. 
he just he he looks to have a solider, a more solid base, uh, a smoother um, just motion with his upper body. And I, I've also we've we saw in the the last game um, some some pretty creative finishing around the rim that we've we've seen a little more lately. It it looks to me like he's really been working on some things in practice and he is maybe starting to implement them in the games a little more. Um, he's, he's obviously going to get more time in the second half. He's going to get more repetitions to, you know, get this stuff to, to get to a higher level. And I, I've been pretty down on Seiku all year. Um, he's been just outright bad. Like, let's be honest, but I, I, I've seen a couple things that make me think that that we're gonna see we're gonna see something a little different from Seiku in the second half. I don't think he's gonna be like a positive player or anything, but I think we're gonna start to to see maybe a path to success for him. So we're gonna see some of those flashes that we saw in the preseason out of Seiku more consistently this this year. Yeah, and you know we saw what well, it was only like a four or five game stretch in last year um, when he when he got put in the starting lineup, he had, he had a really good like five game stretch right off the bat, and I think I think it's going to be a little longer this this second half of the year. I think you're going to see maybe a a ten to twelve game stretch where it starts to look like he's he's putting it together a little bit. You know he's not gonna he's not gonna sustain it. You know he's he's just not at that level right now. But I, I do think. I, I just have this feeling that you're gonna you're gonna see a little a little more from Seiku in the second half. Okay. I am here for that because I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. Okay. Um because, so, yeah, have, most of the year I've been thinking, you know, he's two years away from being two years away. Um and if if he doesn't have a stronger finish to the second half, it's it's gonna look a little more grim, I think. For sure. Yeah. I, I I would agree with that. He, he's not going to be, I really don't think he's Henry Ellenson 2.0. Not that they're the same player at all, but we've seen things from Sekou Dumboya throughout his career um, that give you that, you know, this isn't completely unbased. You know, this is something that is, you've seen it. You know, you, you've talked about, you talk about what you're seeing right now in, in the last game. We've talked about what we've seen in the preseason. We have talked about what we've seen, in last season. So yeah, there's certainly reason to be optimistic just because it wouldn't be some just stone cold. Like it just wouldn't be some first sighting that, that we've seen out of Seku. This would be something that would remind us of some of the better times we've seen Seku in, in a Pistons uniform. Um, oh, sorry. What was that? Oh, no, I, I, that's, that's well said. I didn't have anything else. What's uh what's your, uh, what's your first bold prediction? Okay, I only have one bold prediction. Okay. So uh, I think, and this is in the same vein as you. This is an optimistic episode, and I'm here for it. Uh, so I the people think we're need going it. to. The people need it. I need it. My soul needs it. I need to recharge the batteries for this upcoming uh, second half of the year. So I think we're going to get some games out of Killian Hayes this year that have the doubters in Pistons land take a collective sigh of relief. I don't think it's time to like burn all your receipts if you're some huge doubter, but I think that there is going to be, he's going to get back into the the rotation here sometime in the nearest future. I don't know when that will be. And and they had some quotes. Troy Weaver has some quotes earlier 
today that had talked about that, uh, that, that there's no definitive timetable, but they like where he's at. Uh, but I think that I, and I'm really basing this off of, and, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, Matt, that Troy Weaver has done a really good job from a talent and evaluation standpoint, specifically in this last year's draft. Killian Hayes was the number seven overall pick in that draft. That was a Troy Weaver selection for a reason. And I really, and he was so bad for the most part in his first seven games of the year. So for that reason, yes, the bar might be a little bit low, but I still think that there's a reason Troy Weaver selected him that high. There's a reason he took him over Tyrese Halliburton. There's a reason why the Pistons put him out there in the Lions den and had him be the, the starting point guard entering this year. And I do think that we're going to see maybe just a, a more uh, Killian Hayes with a clearer mind, um, a Killian Hayes with hopefully uh, uh, some sort of newfound belief in himself. I know he's been working on his shot quite a bit. And I really do think that we're going to get a couple of games this year uh, where it's like, okay, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we're going to build off of next season. And hopefully come next year, we're going to start seeing a lot of those games in bunches. And I, I, I and that might just be some blind faith, but I think that if anyone deserves any type of blind faith right now, it's going to be Troy Weaver and his ability to scout in draft selection. So that is what I'm going with for my bold prediction for the second half of the season. I like it. And I'm, I'm with you. I almost said the same thing. So we, we kind of have a mind melt going tonight. Um, but I, I, I agree. So I hold on, hold on to those receipts, Les. Um, you, uh, I, I think you're going to be proven right soon. He, yeah, for sure. He needs it more than, than I do. So definitely <laughs> hold on to those. Or maybe you can get a Shamik on and print it out and eat it in five years. Um, yeah, that's not happening on this uh, this pod. Um, but oh, uh, no, no, we're not doing that. I'm not no. digesting paper for for, for for Twitter. I'm not doing much for Twitter. Uh, oh, all right, you got another one, Matt? I got one more. So All right. My... My bold, my second bold prediction, and and I don't know how bold this really is, but I think there's going to come a point in this year where the Pistons fan base is just going to completely melt down and get super nervous because the team is going to win too much. Whoa. I don't think at the end of the year, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I, I could see them, you know, Falling into the the four or five slot, um, but I think there's I think these young guys, you know, who who play really hard, at some point they're they're all going to just kind of click at the same time. Like we we've, we've seen a couple of them do it, um, but but you know often we see you know Jeremy has a big game or Sadiq has a big game. Isaiah Stewart plays great and kind of keeps them in games. Like there's going to be a stretch at some point where I think they're going to all kind of put it together for, for, you know, a week or two, they're going to win games and people are going to start to get super nervous. And you know, especially on Twitter, what the reaction is going to be. It's going to be a complete meltdown. And I'm here to tell you to just be patient because all these young guys playing heavier minutes in, in a longer season than they're used to, um, 
you know, things are going to go bad eventually. And we've talked about the talent gap, obviously, like that's going to take over, you know, over a longer stretch of games. But I, I do think that they're going to make people nervous um, at some point, especially with a much easier schedule in the second half of the year. That's true. They have had a really difficult schedule so far in the first half. And, and I think when they do get Killian Hayes back into the lineup, whenever that is, I don't see it happening anytime in like the next week and a half or anything crazy like that, obviously, but that's going to take its own sort of period of adjustment. And that in itself might produce some L's, which is fine. It's not a season where you're looking to stack up a bunch of those or to stack up a bunch of wins. And you said, you know, in the four or five, you mean like the bottom four or five of, of the, of the standing. Yeah. Right yeah yes, right absolutely. <laughs> no, they're not yeah, going to well, be threat, threats for the playoffs. I do not mean that. That's pretty optimistic of you. That's that might be the most optimistic thing we've heard because going into this stretch, uh, it has been not great. Uh, so the Pistons have lost a whole bunch of games. So if they're able to do that, I think they've built themselves a, a comfortable enough cushion to where I'm personally not going to freak out. And I wouldn't mind seeing a couple more wins just from a viewer standpoint. But at the same time, I... I hope you're right because I, like I said, I don't think it's going to jeopardize their their ability to get one of these top guys truly at the end of the day, and I think they'll still wind up at the bottom of you know the standings or near the bottom, not below Minnesota or anything like that. But uh, yeah, Matt, I really don't got anything else. I think this was uh, really a, a very positive episode, and I and I really like that. Yeah, it, this was this was a fun one. Um, it's it's nice to be optimistic from time to time, even if you are a Detroit sports fan. Is it because we haven't watched any games in like a week, and then all of a sudden we're just talking ourselves into the future of this team? Maybe after a, a real sobering slate of Pistons basketball coming up, we'll hopefully not have. a a downtrodden tone by any means but uh it might bring us back a little bit more to reality but no i I think that we've all that that you've made a lot of really good points so far in this episode and i think that there there is reason to to be optimistic this isn't just us gassing each other up right now i really do think that there is uh just so many small little avenues of bright spots that we've seen throughout the year so be happy be positive Pistons fan things are going to get better sooner than later yeah and we saw maybe one of the brightest spots of the season in my opinion was was the second to last game where they they beat the Raptors by by 25 or whatever it was um and that was without you know the Raptors were without a out some guys but they still had had Kyle Lowry in there and Norman Powell um you know but the Pistons were without Jeremy Grant Josh Jackson and they just looked awesome like they that they they just find ways, and um, you know when they put it together like that, it's it's just a ton of fun to watch for me. I think they scored more points in the first quarter in that game than was scored by either team in the first quarter of the All Star game, which was kind of something that was blew my mind as I was watching the All Star game. Um, but Matt, no, well said, and uh, that'll do it for this episode. So as Matt kicked it off in the intro, I'm David Fernandez, joined by my co-host Matt Way here and all of our writings can be found on uh, articles can be found on DetroitBadBoys.com as well as every new episode of this podcast and all episodes are on the Detroit Bad Boys stream I'm sure you know that by now 
But uh, we will catch you all next week and have some games to talk about. So, peace.